My name is Ross McGregor. I am uh, not uh, Dr. Mike Crouch tonight, uh, so I'm sorry uh, that it is not him, and we're also not going to be in John tonight. So you've not made it to the wrong class. Uh, we've just uh, switched it up a little bit, but I'm really honored to be here tonight, uh, to be among all of you. Uh, tonight, our passage is going to be in Psalm uh, chapter 32, Psalm chapter 32. Before we kind of dig into the text, I want to introduce myself. Like Sam said, I am uh, the local missions pastor here. So all of our Bellevue Loves Memphis work days and Bellevue Loves Memphis efforts, I get to have the honor and privilege of leading out uh, for our church with that ministry. And so thank you all for the way that you serve, the way that you love our city, the way that you pray for our city. Uh, and we truly know that if Memphis is going to be different, it's from the believers of Jesus Christ going out and truly loving our neighbors as Jesus Christ would love them. So thank you for being a part of that. I've been married for about uh, for a little over two years now. So uh, my wife, her name is Christy McGregor. She is uh, in our fourth and fifth grade ministry here at the church. So she helps lead our preteen ministry. Y'all pray for her because those kids are crazy. Uh, I always hear all of the funny stories, but it's been really cool to be in ministry together. We are learning a lot about marriage, and I can learn a whole host from many of you all uh, that have been married for quite a while before. I have. Um, so just want to give a little bit of the introduction of who I am tonight, but I'm, I'm really excited about the text that we're going to be jumping into. It's Psalm chapter 32, and this psalm is known as one of the penitential psalms, so a psalm of confession. And in this psalm, where most of the time when you think about the confession psalm, we think of Psalm chapter 51, where David is pleading before the Lord to create in him a clean heart. Well, this is a, a, a psalm of confession, but of a, a little bit of a different perspective. See, what David is preaching and what he is singing about in this psalm is he is celebrating the joy that he now has from receiving the forgiveness of God. It's a little bit of a different perspective than what we have in Psalm 51. Now, we don't know uh, exactly what specific sin that David is referencing uh, in this passage here, but what we're seeing here is we're seeing a man who is joyful and is singing to his God because he has been forgiven by his God. You see, in the Christian walk, no matter how long that you've been a Christian, forgiveness is at the center of our faith. We have to be forgiven to be right with God. But if we're being honest, there are times whenever we grow cold to the concept of forgiveness. We may pay lip service to it. We may have that understanding of, of yes, I'm forgiven, but we don't necessarily let it move us to that joyful position before God. So tonight, what we're going to be looking at within this text and what we're going to see is we're going to see three actions that we can take ourselves that David models for us so that we can ground our joy in what comes from forgiveness, which is the title of our our passage tonight. So let's uh, go to the psalm now, Psalm chapter 32. How joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones became brittle for my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. 
and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. When great floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding that must be controlled with bit and bridle or else it will not come near you. Many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, and I, I pray that your spirit will just fall upon this place, that as we remember the forgiveness that we have in Christ, that we ourselves will be moved to joy. Lord, I pray that as we go through this text tonight, I pray that it will come alive in our hearts, that you will speak to us, that you will convict us, but that you will also encourage us. So tonight, we lift this sermon up to you, and we invite you here. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So there are three actions that we're going to talk about tonight, which are three points that we can see that David does in this psalm that can help us remind ourselves of the joy that we have in forgiveness. Our first point tonight is that we have to understand the nature of forgiveness. Understand the nature of forgiveness. Before we get into the text, I first want to just think about forgiveness in just a normal, everyday kind of concept. For forgiveness to happen, there first has to be someone who offends another person. You have to have someone who has done some type of wrong. You have this person who has done a wrong to another person where this person has now been offended, hurt, betrayed in some kind of way. We all in our lives have been all parts of this equation. Uh, we have all been a person who has been offended by another person. We've been lied to. Someone's lashed out at us and said hurtful words. We've, we've been betrayed. We have been the offended. And then we've also been the offender, where we have the one at some point within our lives where we've, we've done someone wrong. We may have hurt someone by our words by the way that we said things, or maybe we were deceitful to someone, and we have hurt them intensely. We are not unfamiliar with the concept of forgiveness, and we've all been into a, uh, in the spot of needing to forgive someone. Well, in forgiveness, what happens is the person who has been offended no longer holds the wrong against the offender. We say, I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. Well, when we think about spiritual forgiveness, where we're at is we are in the offender part of the equation. We are the one who has offended, but who have we offended? God. God is the one who we have done wrong, who we have sinned against, who we have betrayed. So when we think about forgiveness and we understand that that's kind of the dynamic that is going on here, what David goes into within this text here is he walks us through exactly what forgiveness is like when God forgives us. In verse 1, he talks about how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose transgression is forgiven. You see, the, the Hebrew word for forgiven there is to lift up and to carry away. That's what that, that verb is. So you think about it, 
the transgression, the rebellion that David experienced has been lifted up from him and carried away. Now, I, uh, at the start of uh, 2023, I said, I'm going to make a change, so I decided I'm, I'm going to start going to the gym. And I need you to know I've been going to the gym for about three or four months now, and I don't enjoy going to the gym at all, not one single bit, but somehow I'm still going. Well, one of the things that I do there is weightlifting, and weightlifting is the most humiliating thing for me because I want to be able to get whatever weight is on that, that bench or whatever weight is there, and there are some times whenever you get fatigued, and even that, that 10-pounder all of a sudden feels like 100 pounds, and that 15-pounder that feels like 1,000 pounds, and I just it, there's no energy left in the tank, and I cannot move it at all. Well, in a way more drastic way, the weight of sin upon us is crushing. The weight of our rebellion is a deadly weight that can crush us, that we cannot move ourselves one bit, not by our good works, not by our good intentions, not by our good desires. No, for us to have our sin and our transgression and the deadly weight that is crushing us, someone else has to lift it from us. Someone else has to lift that weight and that guilt from us. And this is what David is talking about. A part of the nature of forgiveness is that our sin, our transgression, is lifted from us and taken away. How beautiful is that? He also gives another explanation. He said, how joyful is the one whose sin is covered. Whose sin is covered. So immediately whenever I was reading this text, my mind went back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve, they were walking with God, and they were walking in his, and they had one command that they were to obey. They were not to eat from the knowledge of, of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What did they do? They went and they ate. They disobeyed God. Well, immediately after they ate from that fruit from that tree, their eyes were opened and they became ashamed. So what do they do? They went and they hid themselves from God. And I'll tell you what's pretty incredible within that passage of Adam and Eve's rebellion is not only were they shameful about what they had done, but they were shameful about who they were and what they were created as. You see, they went and they hid themselves whenever God created them to bear his image and to not be ashamed. But they tried to, to cover their nakedness with fig leaves and with their own works and trying to cover up for themselves. But what does God do after he comes and he confronts them on what they had done? He later, we see the first death in the world. It was an animal where God used the skins of that animal to cover the shame of Adam and Eve. You see, whenever we are forgiven by God, whenever our sins are covered... He no longer sees them. He no longer sees the shame that we have brought upon ourselves because of our rebellion away from God. When God forgives us, he's like, I've got you. I'm covering you now. What a beautiful picture of what forgiveness is like. Where God lifts up our sin, but then he covers our shame as well. And then we see one other thing that David refers to into the nature of forgiveness It says, how joyful is the one, in verse 2, it says, how joyful is the one whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity. That iniquity word and what 
David is getting at there is kind of like a courtroom scene where the guilty party comes in and they are guilty and it's a plea of guilt. But then they walk away, not innocent, but forgiven. You see, whenever we come in and we know that we are the guilty party, we are the offender. And what God says is, I see your guilt, I see that you did wrong. There's no doubt about that. But I'm forgiving you, and you're walking away without that guilt anymore. You're walking away forgiven. The nature of our forgiveness as believers is rooted within Christ Jesus. His death upon his cross, the cross, and his resurrection from the grave. You see, when we look at all three of those things of how our, our transgressions are lifted up, we as Christians, we can see the nature of our forgiveness of Jesus Christ being lifted up on the cross. When our rebellion was crushing in a weight of deadly sin upon ourselves, he took that deadly weight upon himself, upon the cross. When we feel the shame and the pain of our sin and where we have gone wrong, what we are covered now is not with animal skins, but with the very blood of Christ, where we are no longer covered by shame. We are covered by his righteousness. You see, whenever we walk into the guilty throne room and we know that we're guilty, we can say that we are forgiven because Jesus Christ took our guilt upon the cross. And he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. You see, when we think about the nature of our forgiveness, we have to look at Jesus Christ himself and his work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And when we think about that, how can it not lead us to joy? You see, in all three of those descriptions of forgiveness, we don't do anything. God is the one who lifts up our, our sin. He is the one who covers us. He is the one who declares us forgiven, though we're guilty. Forgiveness is nothing on our part. It is all on the Lord. And how beautiful forgiveness is and how joyful when we think about the nature of forgiveness and what we have received in Christ Jesus. So we see that the first thing that we can do and that David does within this uh, passage is understand the nature of, for, the for, of forgiveness. And what I would ask you to do is remind yourself when you think about Jesus on the cross and when you think about his resurrection from the grave, get excited that you're forgiven because of what he has done. The second thing that David does, the second action that David does, is he remembers the moment of his forgiveness. In Psalm 32, uh, verses 3 through 5, what we see here is a little bit of David taking us back to a moment when he sinned and whenever he received forgiveness. And there are two components here that I see in David's moment of forgiveness that I think is the same in all of our moments of forgiveness. We first see, we see that David came under conviction of God. In verse 3 and 4, he says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle for my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Now, we all live in Memphis, Tennessee, so we all know how hot summers can get here as well, where all of a sudden you're outside for about 30 minutes, an hour, and you may be working, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to need to take a little break here and get some water, okay? I'm going to need to refresh myself because I don't have any energy out here. 
Well, that's one of the images that David uses to talk about the conviction that he was under underneath the Lord. He also says that the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. I grew up with two brothers. I'm the middle child, all right? My older brother is about four years older than me, and he was a whole lot bigger than me as well. And I have been put in so many headlocks in my day, and the only way that you can get out of that headlock is by crying uncle or tapping out, right? So what we see here, what we see is David talking about a time when he was in a headlock by the Lord. Okay, the Lord's hand was heavy on him, and the Lord wasn't going to let go of him. But you see, the way that David describes the conviction of God, it's actually, it's pretty intense language. David felt like he was going to die. David felt like he wasn't going to make it. And as I was looking at this text, as I was studying it, I was like, why? Why such intensity from God on David? And I thought of two things. One, God takes sin very personally. God takes sin very personally. You see, whenever we're on the, the interstate and we see the speed limit, we see that sign, we're like, okay, maybe, maybe I can push the limit a little bit. And we kind of negotiate with ourselves and think, okay, well, that's a law written somewhere where I don't even know what book it's written in, and I, as long as I don't get caught. But you see, sin is different because sin is rebellion against a holy and just God. And what the Bible also describes as sin is sin among God's people is like spiritual adultery. It's like someone who's in that covenant relationship with you, betraying you and going for someone else. I'm a husband now, like, and I don't believe that Christy ever would commit any type of adultery. And I, I, I don't believe I would ever commit any type of adultery, but I can just imagine for just a little bit how much pain and agony that that must be. And, and I don't know the stories of, of anyone in there, but you know the familiarity of adultery and you know how painful and harsh of an experience that is. Well, when we sin, that's what the Bible equates our sin to. So when, when God is intense with his conviction, he is like, my beloved people have turned away from me and they've gone and they've loved someone else instead. So sin is personal to God. But then also, God cares for our well-being. Sin is deadly. Sin requires death. And he doesn't want his people whom he loves to go after the things that are deadly and poisonous. He wants you to live an abundant life and an eternal life. That's what Jesus offers us. So he doesn't want you to give in to the things of the world that causes death. No, he cares and he loves for you. He loves you. So when we think about God's conviction and the intensity of it, what I would say is that conviction is good from God. When we come underneath the conviction of God, it is God disciplining his children and saying, I have a better way for you, and I want you to come back to me. And it may hurt a little bit right now while you're under conviction. You're going to be under intense conviction, and it's going to feel painful, but it's for your good. It's for your well-being. It's so that I can forgive you. Because what happens next? After David comes underneath conviction, he then goes into confession and repentance. In verse 5, 
He says, then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my, iniqu- conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. You see what David is saying there is he finally gave in. He finally said, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to go to God and whatever he says is the way that it is. And what does God do? He forgives him. It's the image of the prodigal son after he's run away and after he's dishonored his father and he realizes, I've got to go back to him. He comes to his senses. And what does the father do when he sees his son? He says he runs after him and embraces him. You see, in David's case, the heavy hand that was pressing down on him in conviction after he confessed and repented of his sin wrapped him around in his arms to embrace him in forgiveness. You see, when we ask for God's forgiveness, when we come to him and we say, God, I did wrong, I was in the wrong, and I want to to do differently, God hugs us. He forgives us. He welcomes us in. But you see, confession or repentance, it's actually an act of faith on our side. Because to truly go to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness is to trust that he's going to stay true to his nature of forgiving. You see, we know the passage that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, Our punishment as believers is on Jesus Christ now. And for God to punish us in his wrath, Jesus has already taken it for us. And so we have the freedom to come to him in faith and know that he's going to forgive us, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us on our behalf. But we have to trust him. We have to to truly set aside our own distrust of God and go to him and know that he is going to forgive us when we come to him. Brothers and sisters, there has to be a moment in your life when you are forgiven by God and when you've trusted in him because of what the work of Jesus Christ has done on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And that moment of forgiveness is where you can have a joy that lasts for eternity because you are now in a right standing with God. And then as believers, we know that we mess up after we become Christians. We go back again and again, and we trust that God will forgive us, not because we want to abuse his grace, but because we want to continue to to have that right relationship with him, but we are trusting in Jesus every single step of the way. So when we think about the joy that comes from forgiveness, we can remember the moment that we have been forgiven And when we remember that moment, we remember the severity of our sin, but we remember the kindness of God that ushers us back in. There's one final action that we can take to have our joy based in forgiveness, and it is to walk in the blessings of forgiveness. And I'm not going to walk through the remainder of our text completely, but there are two things that I see that are the blessings that David looks at. We see first the protection of God in verse 6 and 7, where David talks about God being now his hiding place. You see, where, God, where David wanted to hide from God, now he has a hiding place in God. I immediately think of Noah and the ark. 
where God pours out his wrath upon the world for the sins, but God has a protection over Noah and his family now. And for us as believers, as Christians, our protection, our hiding place is Christ himself because in Christ is where we can endure the wrath of God. Um, when, about a year and a half ago, tornadoes came through my hometown in, in Princeton, Kentucky. They're the ones that hit Mayfield uh, and just totally destroyed that part of the state. Well, a, a year and a half from now, now all these homes are coming back that have been destroyed. There were about 30 that were destroyed in my hometown. And almost in every single one of these, uh, in these homes, there is a storm shelter that is built in now. There's a, a place where they can go and they can hide when a, if a tornado comes again. And that place is bolted to the foundation of the home and made out of steel. They're like, it's not going anywhere. Well, when... The troubles of life come now for those who are forgiven. We find our shelter in Jesus Christ as believers. A tornado may come. The wrath of God will one day come upon this earth. But we don't have to fear anymore. Because our shelter is found in Jesus Christ. And we can live in peace knowing that he's got us. And for the believer now, that should spark joy in our life because God is now our hiding place. We can hide in him. Though the world goes crazy and though there will one day be judgment on this earth, we're not going to have to endure it because of Jesus. Another blessing that I see here is God's faithful love surrounding David in verse 10. He says, many pains come to the wicked, but the one who trusts in the Lord will have faithful love surrounding him. We, as sinners, before Jesus Christ, we have to acknowledge that we hated God. But when we were forgiven by God, what God does is he commits his faithful love to us. And God is the most faithful being at all. We can trust him. We can trust that no matter what, he's going to be committed to us, that he is going to be committed to our well-being that will also glorify himself. The one that we hated has committed his faithful love to us. And he displays that love again in Jesus Christ. When we ever have doubt about God's love for us, look to the cross, brothers and sisters, because that is the perfect display of his love for you, that he would send Jesus to your place to die in your spot, but he rose from the grave. So we think about the blessings that we now have as believers. We have that hiding place within Christ, and we have his faithful love forever. So what do we do with this? Well, right here in the middle of this psalm, David says, therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. Brothers and sisters, if you have unrepented sin within your life, go to the Lord. What are you holding out on? We see his character, that he is faithful and just to forgive you. All you have to do is go to him and acknowledge your sin and say, I'm sorry, God. And all of a sudden, he wraps you in his arms. If you've never given your life to Christ before and followed him and trusted him and believed in Jesus and turned away from every rebellion and every deadly weight that you have chosen and follow him, what we see here and what you can know is that you can be forgiven. And brothers and sisters, if you 
don't have joy in your life right now, what I would ask you is where are you looking for joy? Where are you searching for it? Because every, if you search for joy in any part of this world today, it's going to fail you. But if you search for your joy in Jesus Christ, where your forgiveness is rooted, you'll find a deep joy. Because you'll see a joy that is going to last in eternity. Where we're going to be able to rejoice in the heavens with all of the hosts and all of our brothers and sisters who have gone before us. Because we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So brothers and sisters tonight, we can have the joy that comes from forgiveness because of Jesus Christ. If you don't know the Lord, come and talk to me uh, uh, after this uh, sermon today. But we'd love to just take some time and pray. And I would ask you to pray and just thank the Lord for the give forgiveness that hopefully that you have received from him. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I, I come to you tonight and I just praise you for Jesus. Because in him, I see the nature of our forgiveness, that he endured so much on the cross so that I can be forgiven and so that every single one in this room can be forgiven. I thank you that you love us so much that you sent Jesus Christ to the cross and that he rose from the grave. Father, I pray for the brothers and sisters that are in this room that maybe have lost their joy. Father, I pray that you will remind them that their joy is rooted in Jesus Christ and their forgiveness that they have for eternity because of him. Lord, I pray that you will keep anyone in this room from the stubbornness of a, of a mule or a horse like what David says, where they won't come to you for whatever reason. Father, I pray that your heavy hand of conviction falls upon them so that they can receive the joy of forgiveness that is found in you. Lord, we thank you that you have convicted us time and time again when we've chosen other loves before you. Oh, Father, I pray that we will quickly turn to you. Lord, we thank you that in our forgiveness that we can find a joy that lasts for eternity. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.